Hello, witchy friends. Welcome to Cat's Tea and Witchcraft. My name is Fauna, and I am your host. This podcast is for those who are Wiccan, witches, and everything in between. Don't forget to follow the podcast social media pages at Cat's Tea and Witchcraft on Instagram, Cat's Tea and Witch on Twitter, and Cat's Tea and Witchcraft Podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to Cat's Tea and Witchcraft, and enjoy the episode. Hello, witchy peeps. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 124, and today's topic is going to be another interview episode with a new guest, and we are going to talk about sigils. I don't have too much to go over in the beginning of this episode, so let's just dive on into the interview and talk about sigils. Okay, everybody, we have a new guest today. This is a friend of mine who is the sigil expert out of my witchy friends, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hello, everyone. My name is Yuna, and I have been practicing as an eclectic witch for the better part of seven years, which is really wild to think about. Time has really flown. As for how I got started, I funnily enough ran into a Wicca book in the school of my Catholic school library, and I decided to like read it and try to get a better understanding of what Wicca actually was, and I felt like it resonated with me more because I was super used to going through the motions and, you know, pretending, but I really got to take a dip into like some of the energies and things like that. And that's sort of how my practice has grown throughout the years where it's been less me worrying about like doing everything super perfect. Like I'm studying for a test and more so like building the relationships with the energies that are around me with the deities and with my own energy. And to be quite honest, when I build my sigils, that's sort of how my practice has evolved where I've gone from a super rote like I have to draw a perfect square. I have to draw a perfect pentacle too. I I feel like these shapes, these round shapes and these nice squiggles really express what I want to express. Wow, that is a very good and perfect introduction. You just rolled right into it. What's funny is like literally right before we started recording, I was like, you've listened to the podcast. You know how this goes. And she was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> that. So she is, she's like, I got this. So yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, and she also brought up, we are going to be talking about sigils. And in the past, I've also talked about runes and a couple other things. And that is also something we are going to talk about, some similarities and distinctions as well. So the first question that I wanted to go over with you besides just basic details about you and how you got started which you already covered is what is sigils oh great so sigils I like to describe them as a magical shortcut these can be symbols that are used in magic or rituals they can be calling cards for a deity or an entity of any kind or even just like a scent that really brings you into a magical mindset. Like I said earlier, they're kind of like a magical shortcut. It can be a calling card for a deity or an other kind of entity that you work with, like an angel. Um, 
It can be a symbol that represents a particular ritual or spell or your intent when you're making a working, or it can be any kind of other magical shortcut that gets you into a particular mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. Some folks use a particular scent um, that brings them into a magical mindset before they enter a ritual. So if you like the scent of cedar and that really makes you think of like a temple of some sort that you can create an oil and that's kind of like a scented sigil that will bring you into that mindset for your working. Wonderful. And with those different varieties of sigils and different things you mentioned, there's probably quite a bit of history that comes with them. So what would you be able to say about maybe the history or even just modern history on the topic? Oh, there's a lot that could be said, especially around the world. But for the sake of time for your podcast, I'm mainly going to stick with Western occultism and esotericism. And quite honestly, the history could go as far back as human Mm -hmm. beings using a picture or some kind of symbol to represent a thing. Yeah. But we're going to fast forward to around the time the Silk Road was really popular. And that was um, around between like the second century and the 15th century. And this is where we start seeing magic squares. And they originated in China. And we usually see the three by three square, which was found in the I Ching. At the time, it was used for divination. But as magic squares made their way across the Silk Road, like through a lot of Eurasia and Europe, you start seeing more squares that have influence from Jewish and Arabic scholars. So you start Mm -hmm. seeing the three by three, the six by six squares, more three by three squares, nine by nine squares. And then as they made their way into Europe, we start seeing planetary associations really come together. Mm -hmm. And as we move forward into uh, a lot of like 18th century, we start seeing people using them for sigils themselves. So that's how that sort of appeared Um, during Mm -hmm. the Renaissance era. Um, we have a lot of court astrologers like John Dionester Damas, and they really popularized um, creating ephemerises, which are almanacs, and they're very popular in Elizabethan England. Mm-hmm. Um, and what these were, were um, star charts of sorts. And when we see a birth chart, for example, a lot of these are started being created around this time period. And then a lot of these astrological symbols started getting popular again for sigil use closer to the 19th century, which is when we started seeing a very big occultism boom in the West. And then last but not least, in the 20th century, we uh, really see the most common form of creating a sigil getting created by Austin Osmond Spare. And this is the method that a lot of people know best, which is where you sort of write out your intention or your thought, and then you cross out varying letters. So this could be all the vowels, all of the matching letters, and then use the shapes of those letters to create your sigil. He created this mainly because a lot of his friends seemed confused and uh, like a lot of the previous methods of creating a sigil can be like confusing or a little difficult to understand. And there is a bit more of a learning curve towards them. So he devised this method for a lot of his friends in his network to really like understand the occultism without really getting lost in the weeds. Very brief history that really cut out a lot of the world. I will give um, an honorable mention to a couple of other things. For example, we have the 
Book of Moses, which has a bunch of seals and sigils that are used to contact the angels. And there'd be, uh, in ceremonial magic, there would be an actual ritual that the practitioner or practitioners would use. And they would, um, you know, raise the energy with that sigil and then get in contact with an angel. There's also the Seals of Solomon and the Goetica, which were translated by Crowley and a bunch of other occultists back in the day. And they would use those seals in a similar manner. And then there's also Veves, which aren't sigils at all, but they are magical symbols that a lot of voodoo practitioners when they're having a ritual or a ceremony together they would raise energy collectively and they would have a person standing in the center of the veve and they would essentially be channeling the energy of the loa that they're working with in that particular ritual interesting with that you said that those aren't technically sigils in themselves but they are used as forms of power during the rituals how would you distinguish between just a normal symbol art pictures and sigils themselves i would say a lot of it like most magic is the intent behind it um Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to have an entire ceremony to raise energy for your sigil to work, Mm -hmm. but that is one of the bigger things that sort of differentiates a circle that is a protection sigil versus a circle that you do as like a doodle. Okay. So yeah, so it's not always something that's super complicated when it comes to using your sigils. And you mentioned some of the techniques that are more modern on how to make them, but does that also include or is that different than the number system that people can use to create the sigils? Uh, no, that definitely includes the number system. Okay. I know I mentioned um, a magic square. Those typically have numbers associated with it. Okay, um, some so people use the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Some people use the square itself as just like a talisman and using that energy and the mm-hmm. square itself is a symbol. Other times you can actually use numerology to draw your sigil out using the shape of uh, creating the shape from the square and move on from there. And they don't have to do that. Can the sigils be a little more intuitive, kind of just how people feel if or if it's from uh, like a form of automatic writing, can they use systems like that to also create their sigils? Oh, absolutely. And this is where a lot of people can really start creating beautiful works of art. One of the sources that I really like, her name is Laura Tempest-Sarkoff, and she wrote a book called Sigil Witchery. And she typically uses this method, and a lot of her paintings and her artwork will contain a sigil of some sort. And it's really divined in this sort of intuitive way where over the years of creating her art, she has created a library of symbols that mean something specific to her. For example, an open heart, which means you're like open to receiving love or kindness or energy of that sort. And then from there, she like combines these shapes together and then creates her sigils from there. I really like her philosophy around um, creating sigils and just building that symbol for that direct, that dictionary for yourself. And it's actually a method of creating sigils that I'm trying to emulate. Okay. So it's obvious that you've done a lot of research on sigils. How 
do you use them either in your daily or weekly or various parts of your personal magical practice? I will say creating sigils is my most used form of magic, even more so than candle magic and things like that. Mm -hmm. So for example, one thing that I love to do is I will take bay leaves, which in my practice, they're really good for money magic and money related type spells. So I will take a bay leaf and then create a sigil on the bay leaf and burn a petition. Um, That's kind of like a, hey, I need money, winning lottery ticket, something like that. (laughs) I will also do a lot of healing spells for friends if they request it. And Mm -hmm. I have a particular set of candles and I will sort of do a rough draft on paper. What do I want the sigil to look like? How does the shapes represent the energies of the friend or the person that I'm doing the healing spell on their behalf for? sort of sketch that out on paper and then there will be an intuitive moment where it sort of feels right and then I'll draw that on the candle carve it into the candle dress the candle and then light it and hope that all the healing energy will go their way so that's another way that I use it I also like to do glamour spells and glamour magic sometimes where I feel like dolling myself up and wearing makeup so I will draw a sigil on my body somewhere with a little bit of body oil before putting on mm-hmm. all of my makeup and going out about my day. So that's just a very, very small selection of the many ways you can use sigils. Because really, no matter what your flavor of magic is or what your flavor of practicing is, there is definitely a sigil for you somewhere. Oh, yeah, exactly. And like you said, a lot of this goes with intent with a lot of parts of magic. It's not everything, but it is one of the biggest things because if you don't have an intention, how are you going to do your magic? It's not like you're just following instruction and not focusing on it. Magic is something you focus on and you put your energy into. And without the energy and without the intent, there's not really that spark that needs to be made and created to get your magic to work or be put out into the universe. So you mentioned putting them on the bay leaves or drawing it on yourself. What would you say recommend people to do if they have children or families, different ways they can use sigil magic that may be a little more discreet? Because a little doodle might not be as obvious as putting a jar in their kid's backpack or making them carry crystals or putting things in their husband or wife's or partner's lunchbox or car to protect them? That is a great question. There are several spots that you can put sigils. I'm going to start with some that may not actually last throughout the day per se. So for example, if you have a smaller kid and you're rubbing them with some lotion, you could probably draw the sigil on their skin with the body lotion. And you can Mm -hmm. make it a sort of a fun time thing where you're kind of like saying something together with like your smaller child. There's also ways where you can have little cards that you slip into their backpack or maybe their lunchbox and it's sort of small and out of the way. Yeah. If you're adept at sewing, you could probably try sewing a, a sigil as like a small patch on the inside of their clothes. I have a few shirts that I have done this with and I have a tradition where that's a particular shirt I'll wear when I'm doing a job interview and I have like mm, a, a okay. calm my nerves a sigil kind of like stitched into there into yeah. um and like the inside I have seen some people draw sigils on like the tags of their shoes or maybe like on the soles of their shoes so that is also an option available to you 
Yeah. With that, it makes me think that, like, for example, you said money magic, putting a sigil inside your wallet or on your debit or credit card or something like that. Like, it doesn't have to be super crazy or super, like, out there. It could be super, like, discreet because when when you're doing magic, it doesn't always need to be flashy. Um, I know sometimes I've seen, I've done it myself, people can put things on their windows, on their doors, but they do it while they're cleaning their home or they do it in the air and they do it more often if they have a spray or an oil because over time things get washed away or people touch those areas and you need to redo it. So sigils definitely seem like they're very, is versatile the right word? Like you can use it all the time and you can use them in a, a variety of ways. Right. And also regarding money magic and among other things, one thing that you can use as a sigil is a symbol you already know, like the dollar sign or the Mm -hmm. euro sign, the pound sign, because in your mind, you're already associating that symbol with money. So you can use that as a base to build the rest of your sigil off of. Sigils, like she explains don't need to be complicated. And I wouldn't say it's something that you need to spend days, weeks, or even months working on. But when someone finishes them, even if it's just something quick or they want to make it intuitively while they're doing their spell, because a lot of people do things while they're in in a trance or something similar or after meditating, how would you recommend them, say, giving it power or energizing it for their particular spell? Oh, okay. So there's a handful of ways you can do this. I'm going to start with the more intuitive way because Mm -hmm. it does feel like a little bit of a kappa, but it's when you're doing a sigil intuitive kind of like automatic writing, you just sort of know and you can sort of feel um, when the sigil is ready or when it's activated, for lack of a better word, when it's Mm -hmm. functioning. And this is something that comes along with practice. You're not just going to wake up one day, or maybe you could, but most people definitely need a little more practice to like really get in tune with certain energies. And then that's how they start feeling like, oh, my sigil is ready. I feel like this one is probably run its course. Mm-hmm. Um, then when it comes to other sigils where maybe you're not making them intuitively, but Uh, you want to maybe have like a small ceremony for yourself to activate them there you could try charging them in sunlight or moonlight so maybe you want the energy from a particular phase of the moon say the full moon um you can lay your sigil out underneath the full moon and then the next day you're ready to use it some folks like to maybe activate their sigil by destroying it so they create maybe like a a sigil in the sand meditate over it and then wipe it away and then that's how the sigil is being activated interesting Uh, the act of destroying energizes it exactly it's kind of like the energy from the destructive act is what's Mm -hmm. actually powering your sigil i know on my in my house i have a sigil underneath my wi-fi router Mm -hmm. and the whole idea there is that the electricity and sort of like the Wi-Fi itself is what Mm -hmm. actually powers the sigil. So they kind of like have a nice little feedback loop there. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something coming from nature either. Yeah. That kind of sounds 
chaotic magic a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I have noticed that cha um, cha chaotic magicians, uh, I'm not quite sure what they call themselves, but I have noticed that like a lot of chaos magicians tend to power a lot of their workings just by thought alone. So mm -hmm. if you think about something a lot, that's what actually powers it up and then it becomes real. Thoughts are energy. Thoughts are energy. And you can feed your magic with your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. With you saying um, that you put it on the bottom of your Wi-Fi router, you can, and you also mentioned putting them on the bottom of your shoes, you can put them on the bottom of your doormat or behind your door knocker. Or I know there are some cultures that have special items that they put inside the doors. I know my grandparents did that and they were Jewish. I can't remember what it, it is. I think I've mentioned it in a past episode. I'm blanking on the name, but my grandparents did that. So this idea with using sigils, you can hide them. You can have them more obvious if you want, but they can be powered alone by the faith that you have and the energy that you put into it. It's not like you have to with some spells, you have to wait hours and hours. And if you want to burn a candle while making your sigil, if that's how you want to energize it, that probably would be a good way because you're also using the energy of the candle. But you don't have to have a complicated ritual just for that, except if that's what you want. Absolutely. Um, which is why I do like to say that no matter what type of magic you do, there is a sigil for you because mm -hmm. some folks really feel empowered by the whole high magic, ceremonial magic, creating like your big circle and having everything you need to get into that magical mindset and then creating their sigil. And then there's yeah. folks like me where I just kind of take a little time to sit by myself in a quiet corner and, you know, really think about my sigil and then draw it and bring it to life. Exactly. There's multitude exactly. of ways to do things. Yeah. And that point itself, it's a good note for people if you're solitary or if you do coven work and if you do both and or if you just on occasion you do some rituals with friends or do spell work with friends if you have the opportunities, you don't have to always do everything all the same. I would say, and I've mentioned it before, when you if you're in a coven or thinking about creating or joining a coven, the point of having rituals that you follow and certain techniques is so that everyone knows what's going on to raise energy. And that everyone knows and has expectations. But like Yuna just said, you don't have to make it super complicated. And sometimes it's just spending some time by yourself focusing on it. And that's what I do a lot too. Even though I am in a coven, I've done work with other people. My solitary work is very different than what I would do in my, my eclectic um, Wiccan circles. So we've gone through quite a bit of information on sigils. Do you have any recommended books or websites or people who have maybe social media, which is on um, Instagram or Facebook and YouTube that you might recommend that may give good examples or be able to guide people on also how to use or work with sigils? Oh, yes. So I have three books. Um, the first is Practical Sigil Magic by Freighter UD. It was published in the 90s, so some of the terminology in there 
may not necessarily be the best today, but if you're interested in general sigil magic from an occultism, a Western occultism lens, he is definitely a good person to start. So he talks a lot about magic squares, the math behind them, how that mm -hmm. ends up working, magic circles, how you can create sigils with magic circles, and then using astrological symbols um, as like a sigil in, of themselves and then adding them into other sigils. The second book is Sigils, Ciphers, and Scripts, which like Practical Sigil Magic kind of broadly touches on everything. This one is almost exclusively about sigil squares. And then lastly, I did mention this source before, but again, Sigil Witchery by Laura Tepesarkov. And I really, really, really appreciate her intuitive and artistic approach to things. Um, it's such like a nice modern take. And I do feel like her methods will resonate with a lot of people. I will say this book is more of a workbook rather than a grimoire or a how-to. So you're, you are encouraged to sort of create your sigils alongside the examples that she places in the books. And then lastly, there is a podcast called Glitch Bottle, which does cover a bunch of other witchcraft topics, but they mm -hmm. did cover sigils quite a few times okay. from a more culturally based lens. Definitely more in-depth than we did here today, but they're, they're a great group of people. So yeah, those are my sources. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So we got through this very well and I feel like people will have some questions on this. So those books will be a good starting point for anyone that is interested in learning about sigils and hasn't had the opportunity to do so yet. So before we wrap up and go, how about you give us three th new things that you are working on in your magical practice? I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw that out. You throw that oh. at you. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> this is a question you did not prepare for. Absolutely not. Um, so one thing that I've been trying to do more consistently is go to my altar more. Not so much like when I need something, but actually talking to my deities and like deepening that relationship, especially mm -hmm. like outside of the circle. So I've been working on taking like five minutes of the day to talk to my deities because I do have an ancestor altar and I go there all the time, but I, I do feel like my goddesses are a little neglected. So I'm definitely helping them out there. I've also been trying to find other ways to ground. So I've been experimenting with, you know, various crystals, seeing if they resonate with me. I, my plants that I have, I've been trying to use those. Love um, your plants. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely trying to find ways that aren't meditation because I do feel like there's a certain point where I end up falling asleep instead of grounding. I've done that a couple of times. Yeah. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and then my last thing that I'm working on does have to do more with sigils, but I've started painting again. So I'm looking Good. at ways to <laughs> uh, incorporate sigils into my art. Um, yeah. It's, I, I work a very analytical, like day job in my mundane life so it's really hard to get out of that whole like everything has to be mathematical and precise so really getting into the more organic these are my colors and I'm just doing this for no particular reason and really mm -hmm. getting into a meditative state that way has been really nice actually <laughs> yeah 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Work, uh, being an adult can definitely get to you. And even just doing things very subtly, not making it super complicated, witchy or not, is definitely something that's needed because we do need that self-care. Absolutely. And sometimes people wait too long. I've been talking to um, some mutual friends and – I was telling them, it's like, you are so busy. You need to slow down. Like, I know, I know. Um, But yeah, it's very important. So everyone, anyone who says like, oh, no, I don't need to take a break. They do. It just hasn't hit them yet. (laughs) Absolutely. And like, if you're like that person, which I totally am, it's okay to say no. Or you can say normally I would accept that offer or that position or that responsibility, but I need to take a break. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It is okay to take a break and people should respect that. And if they don't, that is a sign for you that you need to be aware of that they may be taking advantage of you if they are not okay with you taking care of yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) So, okay. One last doozy I'm throwing you under the bus on this as well is What sort of advice outside of what we already talked about today would you give to witches? Oh, yeah. So this may be my eclectic bias coming in, but a lot of witchcraft is trial and error. Like no two witches will necessarily practice the same or even have the same relationships or philosophies when it comes to entities, the deities, goddesses, all of that. So really take this time to make this practice about you and how you interact and navigate with the world. It's not a test. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not a rush either. Um, Exactly. Like we just said, you don't want to, you don't want to burn yourself out. You don't want to get yourself to the point where you just can't function. Sometimes it's hard life, kids, family, sometimes important deadlines are coming around and sometimes you don't have a choice. But when you do have the choice, you need to be very cognizant of what is going on as much as you can. Okay. Well, thank you, Yuna, for coming on the podcast today i know we've been talking about it for a while and uh we've been friends for quite a while and everything and i know sometimes in the past you've talked like oh i listened to this episode today blah 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 blah. so that's why you so easily were able to just dive on in today right absolutely and thank you so much for having me yeah no thank you i appreciate it and i know it's important for everyone to have different perspectives and hear and talk to different people about different paths because like you just said not everyone does everything the same it's very experimental and just because you read it in a book it might not work for you it might not work for you now and it may work for you later because maybe you haven't gotten to a certain energetic point maybe you just haven't made a connection to something yet so Everything just comes, sometimes comes around full circle. Exactly. But but yeah, like I say every week to my listeners, so I appreciate every single one of you and I will talk to you next week. Have a great one. Blessed be. Blessed be.